Hello and welcome to part 3 in a series of videos that I'm putting out where I break down all the fights taking place this weekend at UFC on ESPN Plus 12 from a betting perspective. Now I've already covered 6 fights on this card including the main event between Korean Zombie and Renato Moicano and you can check out my breakdowns for those fights in part 1 and 2 of this video which I'll leave a link for in the description below. And in today's video I'll be busting through another 3 fights but before we get into that I I want to remind you that if you do want me to do a live stream this Saturday a few hours before UFC on ESPN Plus 12 takes place, please hit the like button below. For every video that I put out this week gets 300 likes, I will do a live stream on Saturday where I go through all the fights taking place this weekend to try and find a decent value prop bet and if you don't know what a prop bet is, a prop is just basically a highly specific bet on a fight so for example Moicano to win inside the distance would be considered a prop so if you want me to do that live stream hit the like button below we're struggling for likes this week please hit the like button every video has to get 300 likes if you want that live stream and I will also take as long as I need to go through uh, to go through all your questions in the live chat as well now let's move on to this card and a sure sign a dead giveaway that a card is a pretty shitty UFC card is when you see me having to go to the prelim fights to try and find hot girls fighting on the prelims for my thumbnails just to get views. I mean, let's be real. I've used Ariane Lipsky in the thumbnail for today's video because realistically, you know, aside from Moicano, Korean Zombie and John Lineker, there's not really that many notable UFC fighters on this card. I mean, I used Andrea Lee, another very hot, attractive young lady, in thumbnail for part two. And I've had to resort to the same tactics of, of, of using Ariane Lipsky in the thumbnail for part three. Because let's face it, sex sells. But this is a reflection of how bad this UFC card is. I mean, really, not that many interesting fights on the card. Uh, not that many high-level UFC fighters on the card. Not many name fighters on the card. And for that reason, we are seeing the UFC get a little bit overlooked this weekend. In fact, I'm actually seeing people give more attention to Bellator. Because this weekend, we've got Musasi, Eric Silva and Paul Daly fighting on Bellator London. And of course, the fight that everyone's talking about this weekend is Artem Le and Paulie Malinagi. So on a rare weekend where we've got Bellator, UFC and you know an, another high profile fight we'll call Lebov versus Malinagi a high profile fight. You know of those three promotions it's actually UFC taking a back seat this weekend and uh, I don't really see many people care about, about these fights. I haven't really seen many heated debates online as to you know who people think are going to win these fights. People don't really seem to care that much. So definitely not a good card. Not the best card for betting either. Uh, there aren't really any bets that I love so far on this card. But, you know, it is still only Wednesday. We've still got a good three days before these fights take place. And I'm hoping, you know, just like we always see closer to the time of the event, I'm hoping that we're going to see some odds movement. Because if the odds on a few of these fighters just move, you know move in different directions slightly I would be tempted to pull the trigger on a few guys but I'm just sitting tight for now 
not not jumping into any bets. I want to see the weigh-ins. I want to want to listen to the fighters in their fight week interviews before making my mind up. But I hope that the videos I've brought you so far have given you a good amount of information uh, for you to make your own mind up on bets this weekend. And I think I've been quite open with how I cap all the fights taking place this week or all the ones that I've covered so far uh, in the hope that we can try and identify some good betting opportunities. But... With that being said, I did mention the very lovely Ariane Lipsky a few moments ago. She's very, very lovely. Uh, if it wasn't for Lipsky, well, let's face it, you probably wouldn't be watching this because uh, there's no one else fighting this weekend that would be worthy of the thumbnail. So uh, shout out to Ariane Lipsky for being super hot. And let's now get into not, you know, evaluating her fighting style. We've evaluated her appearance. Now let's go into a fighting style. And of course, Ariane Lipsky is not just a pretty face. She's an excellent fighter as well. She's only 25 years old, so she's going to be making big improvements from fight to fight. And she is the former KSW flyweight champion at 125 pounds. So there's nothing really specifically that I want to you know, point out about Ariane Lipsky. Uh, so I'm just going to leave her fight. Her, her, one of her recent fights against uh, it was against uh, Silvana Gomez Juarez from KSW 42 just over one year ago. I'm going to leave this fight running in the background because this was her her fight, uh, her last fight before she actually got into the UFC and made her debut against Joanne Calderwood. So Ariane Lipsky and Molly McCann. You know, I've got a couple things in common. They were both flyweight champions in big promotions in Europe. Like we just said, Lipsky was the flyweight champion in KSW. And Molly McCann was the flyweight champion in Cage Warriors. And coming into the UFC... Both girls had quite a lot of hype behind them. They had, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a following uh, amongst the underground between them, and uh, and both had a lot of hype. Both had some high expectations behind them coming into the UFC. You know, especially in a new division like the flyweight division where it's wide open, and you know, one or two good wins could catapult you, you know, to the top of the division. I really feel like if McCann and Lipsky would have come in uh, into the promotion and and got a big first win in their debut, they might have got an instant title shot. You know, with with title challenges at flyweight being quite thin on the ground, you know, with these girls being, you know, champions of big promotions outside the UFC, certainly would have made sense to throw them into a title shot in a division where there aren't any obvious contenders, which is the reason why Jessica, I was thrown to the walls against Shevchenko a few weeks ago. But both these girls have really failed to live up to expectations Outside of uh, outside of the UFC, they both look confident, sharp, technical, powerful, explosive. You know, they just had an aura around them. They 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 both had a glow. But both girls have significantly underperformed since coming into the UFC. Uh, Ariane Lipsky looked absolutely terrible in a UFC debut against Joanne Calderwood. A total shadow of herself. She looked like a completely different fighter to how she performed in KSW. And Molly McCann just nowhere near as fast, technical, as explosive as we saw from her in Cage Warriors. And of course, a little bit about a little bit of that maybe you know that she's that the, these girls are starting to fight a higher level of opponent now. But it's also just by the way they look, you can see that the pressure of competing under the bright lights of the UFC has really got to them. So, both girls uh, haven't been at their best yet, but 
you know, Molly McCann has had a couple of fights now to get going. We can see here this will be a third fight in the UFC against Lipsky, whereas Lipsky's only had one fight in the UFC against Joanne Calderwood. And it is worth noting that Calderwood has made some big improvements in a relatively short space of time since moving her, her training out to Las Vegas to train with Roxanne Modafieri. So perhaps her performance against Lipsky caught Lipsky off guard you know we always say that when fighters make their debut they often significantly underperform because competing under the bright lights of the UFC it's a lot of pressure you know they can adrenaline dump they're nervous and that can all have an impact on their performance now you often hear me say that uh, you often hear me say that it's a big risk to bet on fighters when they make their UFC debut because a massive percentage of them lose. But occasionally I will break my own rules if I feel that a fighter can overcome uh, the challenges that they the, the, the challenge of making their debut. And Lipsky was a fighter that I trusted to show up and perform to her full potential. You know, let's be real, I know that the, the UFC is the biggest stage in MMA, but in terms of you know, in terms of in terms of scale. KSW is potentially even scarier than competing in the UFC because KSW fill up these huge arenas, 40, 50,000 pound, uh, 40 to 50,000 people watching the fights in the arena. Whereas, you know, the average UFC attendance is only 10 to 15,000 people watching the fights. So with Lipsky's experience competing in big title fights in KSW, I really thought that she was going to make the transition into the UFC without any problems, without any octagon jitters. You know, similar to what we saw from Vivian Araujo when we bet on her a few weeks ago knowing that she was a champion in Pancras and she looked absolutely incredible in her UFC debut but Ariane Lipsky didn't look very very poor against Calderwood and it is important not to be too harsh on her and judge her for that performance because fighters often look a lot better in their second and third fight once they've got comfortable fighting in the UFC once they've got comfortable competing under the bright lights and a really good recent example of this was Joel Alvarez when we saw him make his UFC debut against Isma Gulov he was very flat uh, just very very uh, there was just no explosiveness, no real crispness to his technique like we've seen from him outside the UFC. Then when he made his second fight a few weeks ago, looked much sharper, much more technical, much better. So I am expecting to see a much better version of Lipsky this weekend. Whereas the same can't be said for Molly McCann because she's had a couple fights now in the UFC and she's still... Uh, she still struggled a little bit against Kachira. Obviously, she won her fight... Um, but she still looked quite, quite flat-footed and just didn't really doesn't really carry any pop in her shots or power in her hands. So this was one of those fights that when I first saw the matchup and I looked at the odds, seeing Lipsky is such a big favourite. You know, if we see her odds here, she is currently around about a one point three six favourite which is a minus 278 favourite for an implied probability of 74%. And if we look at Molly McCann, her average odds are around about 3.30, which is plus 230 for an implied probability of about 30%. So when I first saw those odds, I really felt like Molly McCann might have been worth a bet. But I think that was perhaps... I've got to be real with you. I was really pissed off with Lipsky's uh, debut performance against Calderwood because I bet quite a lot of money on her. You know, we've seen her look fast, technical and explosive and well-rounded 
outside of the UFC and KSW. And when she fought Calderwood, she looked flat, slow, predictable, and just very average. So I was really, really annoyed. I lost a lot of money on her uh, when she lost her UFC debut. I felt that she significantly underperformed. And I think that might have been... Um, might have been what's the word i'm looking for it might have been maybe influencing my opinion uh prior to researching this fight because i'd kind of written lipsky off and when i re when when i looked through the fights taking place this weekend saw molly mccann as a big underdog and i thought oh you know what after how bad lipsky looked in her debut molly mccann's going to be a, a potentially very good bet here at underdog odds but after researching the fight I just don't think Molly McCann's a very good bet. And this, again, goes back to the importance. This just highlights the importance of fight research and why it's so important to to do tape study and do in-depth research for every fight. Because if I was working from hazy memories, I would have taken a chance on McCann this weekend and I would have bet her based on hazy memories of the Lipsky fight. Uh, against Calderwood but now after researching it after refreshing my memory there's no way I would bet McCann here because there are a few reasons why I think she's going to find it quite difficult to, to, to cope with Lipsky the first is physicality in women's MMA you know physicality is often the deciding factor it's a much bigger deal uh, in women's MMA than it is in, in, in men's MMA and I don't know why that is but often when we see, you know, big, strong, powerful female fighters against smaller, less athletic fighters, the smaller fighter often struggles to gain any respect in there. They struggle to back their bigger opponent up. And physicality really, really weighs a big part on how fights can play out. And if we look at the, the stats behind, you know, the way both these girls measure up, we can see that Molly McCann's a very small flyweight at just 5'4 with a 62-inch reach. Whereas Lipsky is five foot six with a sixty-seven inch reach, so Lipsky will have a massive five-inch reach advantage over McCann, and that's a big deal when you know you're only one hundred and twenty-five pounds. That's that's a very big reach for 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 athletes that are this small. So that gives Lipsky a really big advantage, but also. Aside from the, the size advantage on paper, I really feel like Lipsky's physicality is going to make life very difficult for McCann here. You know, McCann's just one of these fighters that really lacks power in her hands. She struggles to back her opponents up. She's not that powerful. You know, we saw it in her last fight against Priscilla Cachera. You know, I know Cachera's an absolute zombie and she's tough enough to walk girls down. But McCann, you know just couldn't back her up, couldn't gain any respect with her strikes. And Lipsky is a fast, explosive, hard-hitting female fighter that should be able to walk McCann down and uh, and just make it very difficult, just very difficult for McCann. I really think physicality is going to play a part in this fight. And also in terms of skills, from a technical point of view, Molly McCann's got a pure boxing style, even though she doesn't carry that much power in her hands. Whereas Lipsky is, as you can see from the footage in the background, a, a, a predominantly Muay Thai-based fighter. Very powerful kicks, nice knees and decent boxing as well. So both these girls are strikers, but Ariane Lipsky's coming in with a much wider range of weapons that she can use to win this fight. She throws a much wider range of strikes, whereas McCann is a lot more predictable and, and much more of a boxer. Also... Neither of these girls have particularly good takedown defense, but Molly McCann is at a much lower level on the ground. You know, I don't think this fight's going to go to the ground because neither girl ever really shoots takedowns, and both girls are primarily strikers. But if it does go to the ground, you would have to favor Ariane Lipsky. So, 
you know, this is one of those fights where I I think Lipsky's going to win. But, you know, would I better at these odds? Absolutely fucking not. Absolutely fucking not. You know, her implied probability at odds of 1.36 minus 278 is 74%. To gain any value here, you'd have to give her around about an 80% chance of winning. There's no way you can do that. You know, she didn't look good in her UFC debut against Calderwood. Uh, you know, maybe she never will look as good in the UFC as she did in KSW. And uh, and I just can't cap cap someone like Lipsky at having an 80% chance of winning. Having said that, you know, you look at the odds on Molly McCann. She's currently around about a 3.3 underdog, plus 2.30 for money line odds for an implied probability of 30%. I'm not rushing out to bet McCann either. I mean, there's nothing I see from her which makes me think that that she's a good bet. I mean, like I said before, I'm not opposed to betting on fighters at any odds. But when we look at McCann, if we break it down systematically through each area of the fight, she's second best standing, she's second best on the ground, and she's also given up a pretty big size and physicality advantage. So she doesn't really have a path to victory. Now that doesn't mean she can't win. Lipsky might flake out again. She might look very bad like she did against Calderwood. But even if she does show up and perform like she does against Cal- did against Calderwood, I'd still give her a reasonably good chance of beating McCann. And uh, yeah, it's just nothing that I really see from McCann which makes me think she can win this fight on merit. Remember that in order for me to bet on a fighter... I need to be sure that they can win the fight on merit. So that's not betting on the fighter to win based on something their opponent does wrong or a mistake their opponent makes or something their opponent doesn't do. It's betting on a fighter because I think they can win if both fighters show up and perform to their full potential. And I absolutely can't can't tick that box for McCann, which means this is an easy pass for me. Definitely not betting Lipsky at these odds. And uh, definitely don't don't uh, see any value on McCann either. I think she's really going to struggle. So that is an easy pass for me, guys. Sorry to be boring, but you know my style. You know, keep it tight. Only get your money into super strong positions where you're very confident you'll win. Or if you're not very confident you'll win, where you have, you know, a very, very good risk-to-reward ratio where the payoff's very good, the payoff is worth taking a gamble. If I'm not getting my money into a strong position or a position where I think the reward is very good for the risk... I'm just not going to bet, and uh, and that strategy serves me well. I make a lot of money with that strategy, and if it's not broke, don't fix it. Tight is right. I can't can't preach that enough. So, got an itchy nose. Before we go on to the next fight, now we're going to be talking about Dan Ige against Kevin Aguilar. Now, to just talk you guys a little bit through my research process, I've talked about this before, but I'll recap. You know, a few moments ago, I said that Molly McCann was one of the first names that jumped out at me when I started researching this event. And out of all the names on this card, Kevin Aguilar was the first name that jumped out at me. The very, very first name that jumped out at me. And you know what? I will play one of his recent fights. Or I say recent. It was, it was a little while ago. Before we talk any further, play this fight from... Uh, around about two years ago against Damon Jackson in LFA. I'll leave this running in the background. Uh, obviously, Aguilar in the white and black shorts. But, uh, yeah, talk a little bit about my research. So when I first come to research in a card, what I will do is I will, you know, go on the best fight odds and I will scan through all the fights taking place on that card and then names will jump out at me based on, you know, based on 
how I see these fights playing out from memory, and then I will prioritize researching those fights uh, before the odds decline. I will try and get those fights researched so that I can try and lock in uh, the best odds possible or get a read on how the odds might move. And Aguilar was the, the, the name that jumped out at me above everyone else. Out of everyone on this card, I thought that Aguilar would be one of the best bets because earlier on in the week when I started researching this card, Aguilar was almost even money. His odds have declined since then. Uh, and I think they've declined because people are betting him, uh, having not really done their homework. I'm going to point out some stuff in this breakdown that I really think will highlight why Aguilar is quite a bad bet here. But I think that people have kind of ignored some things and, and jumped into betting Aguilar. And that's why his odds have declined. But I did think Aguilar uh, would be a good bet. I thought he'd be the best bet on the card. And I can definitely see why his odds are declining. Because if you hadn't really done your homework on this fight, I can see why you'd think Aguilar would be a good bet. So... Let's uh, let's just talk a little bit about Ige before we get into this. So, before researching this fight, I heavily favoured Aguilar and thought he would be a good bet and the odds were definitely attractive to me because Dan Ige is a very strong wrestler, a very technical grappler, very aggressive, but not, not a particularly great striker and Kevin Aguilar is a great boxer. And from his you know recent fights in the UFC, I also remember Kevin Aguilar as having very, very good takedown defense. So, you know, this is one of those fights where on the very basic level, I thought that, you know, if Ige can't get Aguilar down because Aguilar's got very good takedown defense... Ige's really going to struggle, and this could be quite a quite a comfortable win for Aguilar. Um, but this is one of these fights where I completely changed my, my mind on how I thought it would play out after conducting research. And I went in... Uh, you know, went into researching this card initially feeling like Kevin Aguilar would be a very good bet. To now actually considering betting on Dan Ige. Now, I'm not saying I am going to bet on Dan Ige. We'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of breaking down this fight. But I went from thinking Aguilar was the, was a decent bet to thinking Ige may be a potentially good bet. But based on what I'm about to show you, there's no way I would bet Aguilar here at favourite odds. So, based on... Aguilar's recent fights in the UFC you may think that his takedown defense is pretty good because I did because in his last fight Aguilar fought Ke uh, Enrique Barzola who is a very strong wrestler and Aguilar completely shut down every single one of Barzola's takedown attempts uh, won the fight easily cruised to an easy decision win Barzola didn't get anywhere near a takedown uh, Aguilar's takedown defense looked absolutely great but like you always hear me say the devil is in the detail and not all takedowns are created equal. Not all wrestlers and grapplers and styles of offensive wrestling are the same. And some fighters are very good at dealing with certain types of takedown threat. And other, uh, you know, the same fighter will struggle against other types of takedown threat. So, based on it, you know, to the naked eye, if you don't really understand grappling, if you're not that, uh, not that. If you don't understand, you know, grappling and wrestling that well, if you were to watch Kevin Aguilar's last fight against Barbo Barzola, I would not blame you at all for thinking that Aguilar's takedown defense is very good. But again, the devil is in the detail. If you go back and watch that fight, what you will notice is that in that fight, Barzola only tries to take Aguilar down with single shots. So what I mean by that is, 
Barzola would shoot one takedown attempt, either a single leg or a double leg takedown. And if Aguilar would stuff that takedown attempt, Barzola would instantly retreat on that takedown and go back into kickboxing range. So that's very different from what a high-level wrestler would do in order to try and take his opponents down. You think about a guy like Khabib Nurmagomedov, who very rarely actually completes his initial takedown. When he first shoots on his opponent, he barely ever completes that initial takedown. His takedowns come from shooting in on his opponent, them stuffing his initial takedown, him then driving them into the cage and chaining and transitioning into different takedown attempts to eventually drag him to the ground. So Barzola didn't do that against Aguilar. He uh, attempted single shots. Aguilar shut those initial takedown attempts down and Barzola completely abandoned trying to take the fight to the ground. And there are some fighters out there that are very, very good at stuffing a fighter's initial takedown shot. If you look at Nina Ansarov against Tatiana Suarez a few weeks ago, the first and second round, Suarez put on a grappling clinic. But if you actually go back and watch that fight, you'd see that Suarez badly struggled to take Nina Ansarov down on the initial shot. Ansarov flawlessly stuffed every single takedown attempt that Suarez shot him for. But Suarez was able to get the fight to the ground because once the initial takedown shot was stuffed, she then transitioned into a different takedown. She chained into a different takedown attempt. And Ansarov just didn't have the takedown defense to defend those chain takedown attempts. So, you know, if, if Suarez shot in on a single leg, Nina would stuff it, get those underhooks in place. Suarez would then transition to the double leg or a body lock, a back control from a body lock, which she could turn into a triple throw. And that was how Suarez was repeatedly able to get Ansarov down. You know, we see similar things in fighters like Darren Stewart and Curtis Melender. They're very good at stuffing the initial takedown, but if you then chain in the different takedown attempts, their takedown defense is absolutely trash. And that is what I've noticed about Kevin Aguilar. And I'm going to show you that in this fight against Damon Jackson from around two years ago. What you will see from Aguilar is that his initial takedown defense is excellent. When you first shoot in on him, he does a great job of getting those underhooks in play and shutting down your single or double leg takedown attempt very, very well. But as you will see in this clip, if you then use chain wrestling on him, he is very, very easy to take down. And any second now, you will see Damon Jackson really commit to his first takedown attempt of the fight. It's coming up any second now. Here we can see when to change levels and threaten for it there. Uh, but he's going to duck under and go for it again any second now. See Aguilar kind of anticipating it by having his hands low. And there we go. Jackson shoots in on a very, very nice deep double leg takedown now. I'm not going to be too harsh on Aguilar there. He got caught cold, got caught flat-footed. And, uh, and Jackson did a great job of... Uh, of changing levels and completing a very nice double leg takedown. Now, I'm not going to be too harsh on uh, Aguilar here. Anyone can get caught with a takedown like that. But the most concerning thing for me about just this sequence here is how weak Aguilar looked off his back. You know, he's got the cage that he can use to stand back up here. But he just enables Damon Jackson to control his body and flatten him out. Which indicates to me that he's quite a low level grappler. Here we can see Jackson just... You know, going to risk control to pull Aguilar 
further away from the cage at a bad angle. And Aguilar just looking very, very weak off his back. And from top position, Jackson can just absolutely have his way with him. Uh, and, and he gets a good period of top control, gets some ground and pound off. Eventually, Aguilar is able to work his way back to his feet. Because as, as we can see here, uh, Jackson starts to give Aguilar a lot of space. You know, instead of staying in half guard or, or Aguilar's full guard and beating him up from top position... Jackson chooses to start giving Aguilar some space by posturing up and going for ground and pound. And that enables uh, Aguilar to pop back up to his feet. But then when they're back in kickboxing range here, we can see again... It doesn't take very long for Jackson to, to, to get this fight back to the ground. So what you're going to see in this next sequence, we saw uh, Aguilar get caught flat-footed and cold and taken down quite easily off that double leg. But I did say that he's got good initial takedown defense on the single leg and double leg. And you're going to see a little bit of, of that here. But what you are also then going to see is how susceptible he is to being taken down when his opponent cha opponents chaining the different kinds of takedown attempts. So you're going to see that coming up in just a moment they are back in kickboxing range now in the center of the cage and here we see Damon Jackson shooting for another takedown managed to get control of uh, of Aguilar's body here with the body lock we'll just rewind it a few seconds you'll see straight away gets control of his body hands connected there and as you can see Aguilar shows off strong hips does a great job of Steph in the initial takedown gets an underhook in play on the left side very very quickly Great initial takedown defense from Aguilar. And there we see he also fought hard to get the second underhook in play here. We can see him slip it in here. So very good initial takedown defense there from Aguilar. Strong hips. Got two strong underhooks in play very quickly. But now we can see... Uh, we can see uh, Damon Jackson start to use some chain rest. And he's gone from the body lock down to dropping down for a single leg. And Aguilar's doing a good job of creating a wide base against the cage, you know, preventing Jackson from getting his hands connected together to complete this single leg. But Jackson just keeps hustling, keeps hustling, keeps hustling, gets a little bit of space to go back to the body lock here. Now he's got his hands connected again. He's got control of Kevin Aguilar's body and then starts to work to the back. And any second now... What you will see is he's got control of Jack, uh, Aguilar's body. Aguilar in a really bad position here. Jackson moving from, from one side to the other to try and, uh, and use you know a body lock from back control to complete a trip takedown. And then after a little bit of chain wrestling, you know, chaining into two or three different techniques in this sequence against the cage, Jackson ends up getting a really, really, really easy takedown here towards the end of the round. And Aguilar's takedown defense looking very poor. And even worse there, look at how easy easily we see uh, Jackson move to uh, step over in the half guard now he he got half guard there very very easily Aguilar didn't even really try and stop him very easy to pass his guard and uh, Aguilar generally looking very very weak and very very low level off his back and like I say just like in the Barzola fight you know, good initial takedown defense on the initial takedown entry uh, but as soon as you start chaining into different takedowns his, his takedown defense is just shit, and he's very low level, or, or very, very low level on his back. So now we go into, we'll just skip a little bit further ahead. This is into the third round. Just want to show you one more example of Aguilar's poor takedown defense. It's coming up any second now. Uh, this is in the third round, and it's coming any second now. We will see Jackson again. And another thing you're seeing in this third round, 
Notice how Jackson is having a lot of success landing some big shots in this third round. You know, we saw Aguilar look very, very good with his boxing in his last fight against Barzola. But the reason why Jackson's having a lot of success landing big shots is because now Aguilar's thinking about defending the takedowns, which opens up striking and boxing opportunities for Jamin Jackson to land his power shots. Because instead of Aguilar focusing on blocking, he's focusing on keeping his hands low to get underhooks in play early. But here we see Jackson again. Working for a takedown against the cage, exactly the same position, body lock to throw takedown and easily gets it this time, straight into side control. And just just Jackson uh, easily getting uh, Aguilar down and Aguilar looking very, very low level on the ground. Now, of course, Jackson might have improved a hell of a lot since that fight, you know, it was over two years ago. But I will warn you that these weaknesses were also present in his, in, in his contender series fight against Joey Gomez. Uh, almost exactly one year ago. So, yes, I'm sure Aguilar has improved, uh, but he still looked very poor on the ground and uh, had pretty bad takedown defense a year ago. So, how much will he have improved in the last year? Impossible to say. But that's the reason why I think Aguilar is a very bad bet this weekend because he's a favorite and we know Dan Ige is is a great offensive wrestler, very good chain wrestler. Obviously, he's train, trained with Khabib Nurmagomedov quite a bit in the past, one of the best chain wrestlers to ever compete in MMA. And... Uh, and also, Dan Ige is a very, very high-level grappler. And you can just see from how weak Aguilar is off his back, from how easily Jackson was able to pass his guard, that Ige could cause him some really, really big problems uh, if the fight goes to the ground. So, having said all these things, is Dan Ige a good bet? Well, let's unpack it and let's take a look at it. So, if we look at the odds on Aguilar at the moment, he's currently around about a 1.67 favourite, which uh, gives him money line odds of around about minus 149, which is an implied probability of 60%. Anyone with eyeballs can see, based on what I've just shown you, that Aguilar is a terrible bet at those odds. There is no way you can bet Aguilar here. Uh, you know, Dan Ige is a strong wrestler, high-level ground game, high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, it would be a very, very bad idea to bet Aguilar as a, a, a favorite odds. But if we look at the odds on Ige, is he worth a bet? So the best average odds you can get on Ige at the moment are currently around about 2.30 uh, for a money line odds of plus 130 for an implied probability of 43%. And I don't know if Ige is a good bet. I don't love him at these odds because even though Aguilar is a very low level on the ground and he does have bad takedown defense, I don't totally trust Ige either because Ige also has some weaknesses. You know, he's definitely second best to Aguilar if Aguilar can keep the fight standing. And also, one thing that I really don't like about Ige is that his pacing is just very off. I would compare him to Christos Giagos in a lot of ways. You know, if you remember my breakdown from a few weeks ago with his fight against Damir Hadzovic, I said that Giagos slows down in every fight, but that's not because he has bad cardio, that's because he has bad pacing. Where Giagos used to come out the gate very, very aggressively in every single one of his fights and then slow down as the fight progressed because he exerted way too much energy in round one. And we saw Giagos make improvements to his game planning and tactics and his pacing in his fight against Hadzovic. And he managed his, his, his output way more effectively against Hadzovic and ended up winning a very comfortable decision because he just started the fight slower. 
and just split up his output over three rounds instead of putting everything into dominating that first round. And Ige has exactly the same weakness. If you go back and watch his past fights, comes out the gate at a thousand mile an hour, very aggressive, exerts tons of energy trying to kill his opponent in round one, and then inevitably his output and cardio falls off a cliff in round two and three just because he's adrenaline dumped and he started too hard in round one. Now, if Ige comes out like Christos Giagos and adjusts his pacing, uh, comes out, out with a smarter game plan, fights more tactically. I really think Ige is probably going to win this fight easily and dominantly. But based on past performances, we can't trust him to do that. You know, maybe he's stubborn. Maybe he doesn't want to make an adjustment. Maybe that is just his fighting style. You know, fighters don't fighters actually rarely identify these weaknesses that that, that we point out. It's just in their DNA to fight the way they fight. So. Kevin Aguilar is very tough. He's got great cardio. If Ige comes out the gate at a thousand miles an hour and Kevin Aguilar can weather the early storm, I think Aguilar will win. But if Ige um, fights a little bit more intelligently, a little bit more tactically, I really feel like if he manages his output more effectively and spreads out his output over three rounds, I think that he should be able to basically dominate but from a betting point of view that's complicated because we can't trust Ige to do that and the payoff in his odds isn't great so with a fight like this there's no way that you can bet on Aguilar there's absolutely no way you can do it he's a really really bad bet based on what I've shown you but when it comes to placing a high risk bet like Ige in the sense that if I bet on for example, Calvin Cater a few weeks ago against Ricardo Lamas. I'm pretty damn sure that Calvin Cater is going to win. I felt super confident in Cater, and unless something crazy happened, I was pretty damn sure he was going to win. Compared to my bet on Donald Cerrone to beat Tony Ferguson, you know, my decision to bet on Cerrone was basically a value bet. It was largely uh, determined by the odds. I felt that the odds were so good on Cerrone at around 2.50 plus 150 that, you know... It was just a fight I couldn't pass on or a bet I couldn't pass on at those odds. But I was very, very open about the fact that I really, really felt very insecure about the bet and, and understood that there was a very good chance that Cerrone would lose. And I feel exactly the same about Ige because of his pacing. I feel like if I bet Ige, there's a high probability that he could lose. And in bets like that, where there is a very, very good chance that the fighter you're betting will lose, I like to make sure that the, the payout, the, the reward you get for taking on all that additional risk is worth it. And I don't like to get my money into marginal positions. I like to get my money into very, very strong positions when you're placing risky bets. So I don't personally think that the payoff on Ige is particularly attractive at odds of 2.30. I don't think an implied probability of 43% is very exciting. If his odds were closer to 2.50, uh, you know, at plus 150, that is more attractive to me. But at the current odds, there's just not much of, just not much to get me excited. The way I look at bets like this is, I've got no problem betting on a fighter at any odds, but I need to get a good deal. And I just don't think the odds on Ige are a good deal because in basically all of his fights in the UFC, 
He's come out very aggressively, adrenaline dumped early, and then faded in the second and third rounds. And I think if he does that against Aguilar, he's really going to struggle. But there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he has the technique to dominate this fight if he just fights intelligently, but you can't trust him to do that. And like we mentioned against Damon Jackson, you know, even though Aguilar has got the advantage when it comes to striking, Ige is not totally outclassed when it comes to striking. And if he can, you know, take Aguilar down a couple times, he will get Aguilar thinking about defending the takedowns, which will open up striking opportunities and, and make the striking exchanges way more competitive. So there's a lot to like about Ige in this fight, but I just don't love him at these odds. But it's a fight. There are, it's a fight I'm keeping my eye on. I've said this in a, on a few fights this week in a few of these videos. At the moment, I don't have any pre-fight bets for this card. But there are a couple of guys that I've got my eye on. There are definitely a couple of guys I've got my eye on. And you have to remember that this is an event that basically no one cares about. The majority of people are interested in, in Labov versus Malinaji this weekend and the Bellator card. This is a really shitty UFC card, which means that liquidity will be very low on this card. Not much money will be bet on these fights compared to your usual UFC fights, which means it will take a lot less money to move these odds. You know, if you've got time, go check out the uh, the podcast I did with Coach Ben Z where I talked about liquidity on MMA betting in more detail. Uh, I'll leave a link to that, that podcast in the description below. And the point I'm trying to make is we're still three days away from this event taking place. And the majority of casual gamblers, the majority of casual money will place their bets on fight day. And it will not take much money to move these odds considerably because no one cares about this event. So even though there are no bets that I like at the moment, there are a couple guys I've got my eye on, like Dan Ige. And I've seen so many people online say they're betting Aguilar that I do think there's a very good chance the odds do improve on Ige. They do get to 2.50 plus 150, which is what I want. And at that point, I would pull the trigger on him because even though it is a super risky bet, I feel like at odds of 2.50, the risk would be the worth the reward. Where if I do bet him at those odds and he does come out aggressive early, he does adrenaline dump and he does lose, I'll be like, cool, man. Okay, that's the way it goes. Just like when Donald Cerrone drowned under pressure in the second round against Tony Ferguson. It's like, cool, man. Like, we identified it. We knew it could happen. You know, it, it's, it's not a bad bet if it loses. It's a bad bet if you don't see the nature of the loss coming. Do you see what I'm saying? Remember, if you consistently put your money in strong positions, over time, you will make money. We're not trying to, we're not trying to win a bet. Uh, we're not trying to win an individual bet. We're just trying to win a hell of a lot more bets than we lose over the course of a year. So I'll place five or six hundred bets this year. As long as I make a profit over those five hundred, five or six hundred bets, I don't care on a granular level which bets win or lose. I'm just trying to consistently get my money in strong positions. And even though betting on Dan Ige is very risky this weekend, I do feel that if his odds did reach 2.50 plus 150, win or lose, he'd be a very good bet. And I'd be comfortable with taking an L if he did lose. But his odds need to get there first. There's no point in, uh, in speculating because they may not get there. And if they don't get there, I'm not going to bet him. But 
Nobody is talking about this event. Nobody cares about this event. So I do think we're going to get a lot of late line movement this week. Do think we might see the odds jump about quite a bit. And I'm very optimistic that I might still end up with two or three bets for this card. As long as the odds move in the direction that I want them to. And on top of that. I do also want to see the weigh-ins for this card. And I also want to see uh, what fighters are saying in their fight week interviews before I'll pull the trigger on anyone. So I know that these videos will uh, will piss a lot of people off. People, you know, will be like, just give us your picks. Stop passing, you know, you, you're clueless, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, people just want picks and bets. Um, but I literally couldn't give a fuck about people like that. You know, at the end of the day... Uh, I just want to make money and the best way to make money in this game is consistently putting your money in strong positions and at the moment having finished my research on this card I can tell you that at the current odds there are no strong positions but that might change if the odds just move a little bit on some fighters here and there. But that felt like the end of a video. It really did feel like I was wrapping things up. But I'm not wrapping things up. We do have one more fight left to talk about. But I'll try and make it quick. We're going to now talk about Luis Pena against Handsome. Very, very good looking guy. Very powerful beard. We're going to be talking about Handsome Matt Wyman. Blast from the past Matt Wyman against Luis Pena. And Pena the biggest favourite on the card. So, does he deserve to be the biggest favourite on the card? Well, yes he does. I do think he deserves to be the biggest favourite on the card. Matt Wyman, straight out the gate, is now 35 years old. He's getting old. And he is also returning to action after a five-year layoff, which is... Uh, which is never going to be easy. He's also given up a significant size and reach advantage. Here we can see stands at five foot ten with a sixty-seven inch reach against Luis Pena, who is six foot three. Excuse me, with a seventy-eight inch reach. So that would give Luis Pena a thirteen-inch reach advantage over Matt Wyman, which is absolutely ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. A thirteen-inch reach advantage is insane. How, actually, I'm going to Google something. How long is a baseball bat? How long is a baseball bat? Okay. Uh, baseball bat, smooth by regulation. It may be no more than two in diameter and no more than 42 inches in length. Hold on. For, okay, okay. 42 inches, that's a lot, lot longer than I thought a baseball bat would be. How about a cricket bat? Okay, 38 inches, that's pretty long. All right, my, okay, okay, okay. That was a terrible example. What about a rounder's bat? Now we're really clutching the straws to make this point. Okay, the ball, blah, 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 and the bat no more than four, 18 inches. Okay, 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 we're getting closer. 18 inches. So a rounder's bat is 18 inches long. Rounders is a really, uh, is a sport we play in the UK when we're kids. Here we go. A rounder's bat is 18 inches long. And Luis Pena has a 13-inch reach advantage. So in terms of striking in this fight, I mean, it's almost like Pena's got a bat that he can hit, hit, hit Wyman with. Pena can hit Wyman from positions where Wyman can't counter because that... That 13-inch reach advantage is enormous. And also that height advantage being 6'3 compared to Wyman, who's 5'10. I mean, Wyman has to cover so much more distance to land than Pena does. So the size and reach advantage is a huge, huge, huge bonus for Pena here. 
And having researched the fight, I can definitely see why he is a big favourite. I mean, he really has an advantage everywhere. Uh, if it stays standing, Pena is just way more technical, uh, way more uh, throws a way more diverse range of strikes, hits much, hits much harder. Wyman is more of just a wrestle boxer. Very basic striking, not too much power on his hands, which is illustrated by the fact that, you know, he's a bit of a decision machine. If we look uh, all the way back to 2008, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 of his 10, 7 of his last 10 fights have gone the distance. So, you know, no real power in his hands. Uh, not really a very strong wrestler, doesn't really have any offensive wrestling. His biggest strength, the area where he could probably put, cause Luis Pena the biggest problems is with his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but Pena trains at American Kickboxing Academy, very technical on the ground, uh, very good submission defense, also very difficult to take down, good balance for an abnormally tall guy for the division, very strong grappler, like Pena here a lot, deserves to be a big favorite. Uh, obviously, we can't rule out the possibility that Matt Wyman's made huge improvements in the last five years since he fought Isaac Valley Flag. But, you know, the stats would tell us it's more likely that he looks significantly worse than he did against Isaac Valley Flag because now he's a lot older and five years of ring rest is there to set in. So, yes, it's possible Wyman could look like a future world champion. He could look like Mighty Mouse. 2.0 could look like john jones 2.0 uh, he could shock the world and be one of the greatest fighters of all time he could have gone full ivan drago and hidden away in the mountains for the five years uh training to be one of the best fighters in the world but unlikely you know probabilities would tell us that is unlikely to happen probabilities would tell us that he's probably not going to look as good as he did in a pre-usada ufc when he was 30 years old uh back in uh, back in 2014 so not a good fight for Wyman. Very, very difficult stylistic matchup. And also all the X factors like age, size, reach, long layoff are also going against him. So don't need to tell you what my plans for this fight are, guys. If we look at the odds, uh, current average odds on Luis Pena are 1.26, which is minus 385 for an implied probability of 79%. No way you can bet Pena at those odds because in order to get any value, you'd have to give him an 85% chance of winning or better, and I am not prepared to do that. In case Wyman does show up looking like John Jones 2.0, you can never rule it out. If we look at the odds on Wyman, currently around about an average of 4.0, plus 300 for an implied probability of 25%. I'm not rushing out to bet on a guy giving up a technical advantage almost everywhere, a size advantage, a reach advantage with five years of ring rest and being 35 years old. Not about to do that because I don't like setting fire to my money. So that is pretty much it for today, guys. Remember, if you do want the live stream on Saturday, hit the like button below. Like I say, we're getting a lot less views on these videos this week because no one really cares about this event. So please hit the like button below if you want a live stream on Saturday. We have to get 300 likes for that live stream to go ahead. Please also subscribe if you haven't already. And again, I know you might find these videos boring because I, you know, I don't give out the picks. You know, I'm not betting every fight. Uh, but if you actually care about making money, I would hope that you would see the value in the type of betting style that I use because. 
a lot of people make the mistake of thinking the more bets you place, the more money you can make. And a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that, you know, if you're placing lots of bets on lots of fights, you must know a lot about MMA. You must know a lot about fighting. Uh, and it's actually the opposite. Tight is right. Less bets you place in more solid positions, the better chance you've got of making money. And in actual fact, it takes an incredible amount of discipline to pass on this many fights and stick to only putting in your money in strong positions. Because I can guarantee you the reason why Aguilar's odds have been declining over the last week, and if we could bring the odds chart up here, the reason why Aguilar's odds have been declining is quite simply because people are betting impulsively because there aren't very many betting opportunities on this card that they like so they're just betting Aguilar because they don't see anything else whereas you know a, a, a higher level gambler like myself would understand that there are no solid opportunities to bet this card and they would either hold out and wait for the odds to change or they would just keep things tight and not place any bets because they, they're not greedy, they're not impulsive and they don't feel the need to. So if you do want picks, if you do want loads of bets, there are plenty of other guys on YouTube that will uh, will uh, will provide that for you. Uh, and there are also probably plenty of guys on YouTube giving out that information that don't earn a, a, don't earn a penny from gambling. So... You have to basically weigh up what you want. Do you want the real shit? Do you want the truth? Uh, do you want the, the 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 fighters and the bets where you can put your money in a strong position? Or do you just want to gamble uh, and, uh, and bet on fights for fun? And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is the type of gambler you are, I am probably not for you. So again, I am sorry uh, that I don't have any bets for you yet. I am sorry that I can't give you picks. Uh, but I do this for a living. And trust me. I've learned a lot from my mistakes over the years and being tight is the best strategy. And the way I would uh, the way I would describe June is is really June is one of those months where you know you're sat at the poker tables and for 20 or 30 hands in a row the dealer is just dealing you absolute shit. You know, you might get king 10 or ace jack uh, which you know you might pay to see a flop with those hands but just not many opportunities to, to get your money in strong positions. And that's what I would say June has been like. You know, the Stockholm card was pretty poor. UFC 238 was good, although I took a small loss on it. And this card's just not very good either. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at your results at the end of the year, you know, at the end of, of December, when you're looking back over your year's results, you won't care whether you had any bets on UFC on ESPN Plus 12. You won't even remember this event. You won't care. At the moment, it seems like a big deal and you want to place bets and you want to force bets because you think if you don't place any bets on this card, uh, you're kind of inferior in some way because surely if you knew what you were doing, you'd be able to pick out at least one good bet from 12 fights. Um, but when you look back over the year, you're not going to care if you pass on this card. All you're going to care about at the end of the day is your profit and loss at the end of the year. And it's events like this where you force bets that will eat into your profit or force you to float around break even, or force you to end the year on a loss. So don't be a dummy. Don't be an impulsive gambler. Don't be greedy. Don't be inexperienced. Uh, be a boss. Keep it tight. Only put your money in strong positions. And I guarantee if you do that, if you consistently put your money in strong positions over a long period of time, you will make a prof profit. And on that note, guys, take care of yourselves and each other. I'll see you soon.
Too many thoughts on my mind, I can't sleep at night, so I just keep writing I don't need no help, I don't need opinions, so don't waste my time then I just been living online, my city don't show me no love and that's fine Fuck local radio stations, I got more plays than all of these rappers combined I'm going, I'm going again, I've been going in, I'm fed up with so many things I gotta just let it all out, I'm talking about the shit they've been talking about